Well, we started last week on a new series called Think Three. Can you shout that out? Think Three. I want you to start thinking three, and I want you to go back, if you will, and listen to that message if you weren't able to be a part of it. We've been talking about being legacy-minded, people who are motivated to inspire at least three generations in the future that is to come, the things that are ahead of them. And we kind of laid that out last week scripturally, what that means, and, and today I want to talk about it again. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and starting in verse 1, as we look at the generational mindset, that long-term generational mindset that God's Word calls us to have and God wants us to have for our future. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Now, as you look at this, Saul was the present king but he's gotten off track with God's plan for his life and the nation that God put him over. So Samuel is grieved and knows Saul is not on track. And God says, how long, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? I've rejected him as king over Israel. How long will you mourn for him? God is basically saying, hey, I, I'm moving on. I, I, I want you now to fill your horn with oil and you, I want you to be on your way since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn, it says, with oil. Be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. So Samuel, Samuel, if you look in this, he's a leader of leaders in the nation. He's sent by God to look for next generational leadership. This whole topic is about having a generational mindset. Knowing this, the big things happen when leaders of different generations come together around a vision for the future. Are you with me? Amen? You have Samuel, as you see, as he is the older inside of this, looking for a younger leader, what God has called him to do. And now, now, if you look at this, I just want to talk about generation, a little bit of generational mindset, if you will, for just the next few moments. And you've heard these things before, but if you know of yourself as a millennial, it is somewhere uh, between about 12 years of age, maybe a little older right in there, to about 34 years of age. Now, if you are a millennial, make some noise in the house today. All right. Good, good. All right. Uh, we believe in you, that's for sure. I want you to tell it. Um, now, I want to go to the top tier of the age, which are traditionalists, that you are between the age of 72 and 93. Can I hear from you? All right. It's good. Love you. And listen, as we said last week, you are young at heart. You are young at heart. This would, this would be the age group of, of my parents, okay, the traditionalists. Then the next one down, if you go off of traditionalists, is baby boomers, which is 52 to 71 years of age. Can I hear from you? Okay. Knew that, and that's good. Love you as well. Generational X is 35 to 51. Can I hear from you? That's mine. Okay, that would be me. So as you look at this, these generational and, and the mindsets have a lot of merit, if you will, based on the world that we live in and how it shapes and forms our ideas, 
who we are, why we do what we do, our observations, our thought patterns. But I want you to know that every generation matters and is needed to build God's church. Can I hear an amen? Every generation matters to build God's church, and we need absolutely every one of you to do your part. But here are five observations from 1 Samuel chapter 16 if you're taking notes. Five things of observation. You could make more. I only have time for five. Inside of this scripture verse, I want to use this as the premise, point number one. God is looking for leaders. God is looking for leaders. Every time that God wanted to do something to change the current condition, he looks for leaders to do it. Not just singular, not just one leader, but actually multiple and teams of leaders that together will influence their generation and the future generations for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. We've thought for a long time, and there's been a mindset of way too long, that leadership is only meant for the very few. Just a very few. How many of you heard that mindset as well? That you know it's only limited. But listen, leadership is meant for all of us to do if you're willing to be teachable and yielded and to, to the call that God has placed upon your life. God is looking for teams of leaders in every demographic, every sphere of influence to change what he wants to change. He's looking for good leaders. He's looking for healthy leaders. And he's looking for empowering leaders in these days to do his will. Now listen, empowering leaders are the greatest threat to the status quo and to the mediocrity that is out there that we see in the world that we live in. Amen? The things that are going in the wrong direction, empowered leadership is a great threat to that in our world. Teams of leaders can actually change a culture. Teams of leaders can change a community. Teams of leaders can change the direction of a nation. And if you're a leader, I want to encourage you, look out for other leaders who can come alongside of you and help you lead because God is looking for leaders. And you see that inside of this portion of Scripture. God is looking. He is calling on leaders right now. As the son of Jesse, sons of Jesse stood before Samuel, Samuel arrives at Jesse's house and he says to Jesse what the Lord had told him and Jesse sends for his sons and his sons come out shoulder to shoulder in front of Samuel. He sees Eliab and he's impressed with him. He looks at Eliab, he thinks, hmm, I'm thinking about him. He would probably be a good choice, but he's wondering, is this really the one? And he's thinking of it in his mind that it is the one, but the Lord, verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. That that person that you're looking at and you think in your mind is the one to do what I have called him to do. That's not the one that I want at this hour. In other words, he's not the one for the kingship. Now, every one of these guys are destined to lead somewhere in some way in the future, but we are talking about a specific role right now. That's what it's saying. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. It says people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What does the Lord look at? The heart. That, this is what the, the Lord has called Samuel to look at. That person that you're looking at right now is not the person that I want. 
And he literally says, you know, hey, it's, it's a rejection. It's not the rejection of the person. It's a rejection of the role that I want them to fulfill. Then Samuel says to Jesse in verse 11, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. And so the, the only one that I didn't, I didn't send for, well, he's the youngest. And, and uh, he's not here, but you know what? Where I have him is on the back 40 watching over some sheep right now. And Samuel says, have him brought to me, and we will not sit down until he arrives. Now, that is expectation of the promise of the Lord, isn't it? That, hey, send for that one. Send for whoever is not here. Send for the youngest is on the back 40 watching and tending the sheep. Send for him at this moment. And listen, we are here with such anticipation. We're not even going to sit down, but we're going to stand until he comes, until you bring him back. Now, it's thought that David was about in the age of 16 years of age. But verse 12, he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing, the Bible says, with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him because this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. That's what it says in verse 13. In front of his brothers, he anointed him. God says, this is the one that I want to fulfill the role that I want to fulfill in this nation right now. Now, listen, in the church, we, like many churches, we have little anointing bottles, and we open them up, and we do it, and we anoint people with oil. We kind of just do a little dab, a little, like a little dab will do you. You know, like we just dab you around here, dabba, dabba, dabba. You know, we dab it. But listen, you got to understand in the Bible that you look at this portion of Scripture in the Old Testament that they took uh, the horn of an animal, and they filled it with oil, and as they were preparing to anoint them, that they had that horn full of oil. And what they would do is pour it on the person's head that they were called to anoint. And it wasn't just a little oil. It was enough oil that would come and run over the top of their head, run down their face, and onto their clothing. It was a symbol, it was a sign of this anointing, of this covering that was on this person. And God says, that's what I want you to do, Samuel. I want you to uh, anoint David, and I want you to do this because we realize that oil is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible tells us. And the Bible continues in this portion of Scripture and says, From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. That you have to know in our lives, when the anointing comes upon you in your life, God's Spirit comes powerfully upon you. It is the special touch of God. I encourage you to study the word anointing throughout Scripture because it's powerful. That when God anoints us, he's saying, I'm putting my presence on your life, in your life, to do what I have called you to do for this season. Amen? The anointing power of the Lord. And so you look at this and you're thinking, hey, so God is looking for leaders, number one. Number two, it's what's inside that counts. See, God measures people differently than man does. Did you know that? It's not your height, but it's your heart. God sees things in people that hasn't become evident to others yet, and God is not measuring the 16-year-old where he is right now, where she is right now. Amen? God is not measuring them right now. He's got a call upon them on what they will be, 
And you know what we need to realize in our own lives, even as parents, we need to stop measuring our children by where they are right now. Amen. We, we, we got to stop saying, oh, my goodness, I, I wonder if they'll ever turn out. <laughs> you know, oh, Lord, help, you know. I, and you know, I've said it before. The thing that will keep you faithfully praying is just have kids and then have grandkids, and you will stay faithfully praying. Amen? Praying over them, watch over them, guard them, Lord, all their future. With that. But you got to realize, don't get bent out of shape don't be down on yourself that they're not acting the way that you think they should be right now. Don't get all upset about that because we have to look at this, that God doesn't look at people as they are, but God looks at their potential for the future. See, moments before, David was out in the field tending sheep because nobody even thought he was a candidate. Nobody even thought that he would be picked. He's out in the field. His dad didn't even think it would happen. He's out there tending the sheep. He's doing what I've called him to do, and he's staying faithful at it. He's too young to be in the conversation. But I want to let you know, when you're young, you're in your prime time to do what God has called you to do. And the apostle Paul told Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you are young, but set an example for them, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, in, in speech and example and in how you act. He says, you can set an example. Even though you're young, don't let people look down on you. You know, years back, um, uh, I had people that came to the church, visited for the first time, and, and they looked at me and they said, well, you know, it's lots of, you're the youth pastor, huh? No, I'm, I'm, I'm the senior pastor here, but, and, and you know, and uh, I, I mean, that felt good at the time, but they thought, I was really expecting someone that was a lot older than you to be the pastor of the church. I mean, I was expecting somebody with gray hairs. I'm like, I can show you gray hairs. <laughs> I, I've got them, believe it or not. I, mean, I, I don't color my hair, but I've got gray hair. I can show you that, Right? But see, we can't let people look down on us because we are young. We, we need to set an example for them in life and in speech. That's what God's called us to do. Speaking of being too young, there was a man growing up in Charlotte, North Carolina, who was told he's too short to play. As a high school sophomore, he was 5'6", 125 pounds. When he was younger, he had to shoot the ball in basketball from the waist, his waistline. He didn't have a lot of power over top to be able to shoot it. But he had a lot more power when he was shooting the ball from his hip line. He just didn't have the strength. And so you look at this guy, and he, when it came to recruiting, there's no major college that even wanted him. He wasn't even rated as a high school recruit. He wanted to go to Virginia Tech because that was his father's alma mater. Today, he's an MVP in the NBA, and his name is Steph Curry, right? Here is a guy, Golden State Warriors, and I, I want you to remember this. It's what's inside that counts. He had a contract with Nike a few years ago, and they didn't like what he wrote on his tennis shoes. They, he didn't, they didn't like the scripture verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians chapter four. He got reprimanded by Nike, so he switched to Under Armour. They can't even keep his shoes in stock. And what I gotta say is, hello, Nike, where are you? Come on, right? Wow. Wow, we're going to reprimand you for putting, you know, scripture on your shoes, you know. So Under Armour picked him up and they can't keep his shoes in stock. 
It's amazing. It's, what, it's what's inside that counts. He's a Christ follower, and you'll see him go into arenas and shoot the lights out. There was something on the inside of him that kept him going even though he was young. And I want to let you know that there is a leader in you. There is a leader in you. There's a leader in you. Leadership starts where you are, and you're bold about it, and you're not intimidated. You may not even feel like a leader today, but God sees you as a leader if you will just come and listen to his voice and do what he has called you to do. You know, David wasn't even trying to get recognition. He wasn't even out to get recognition. That's why he's still out in the back 40 tending sheep, watching sheep, and he was taking ownership of what God placed over his life. It's where he was in that season. He was doing a way, way, way above average job back there in the back 40, and he was all about what he was given to do. You know, the key to your future is what you're doing now and how you're doing it. That's the most important thing for God to give you your next step in life is what you are doing right now with what he has called you to do. See, what are you doing and, and what is your attitude right now with what God has called you to do? And you know, over and over again, you see God testing motives through the work of the Holy Spirit in scripture. What is your motive in what you are doing right now for the Lord and in your day-to-day -day work? God saw a boy out in the back desert and so many say, oh, man, you know, no, not him. But it was the place where God saw him while he was faithfully tending to what God called him to do. And he wasn't there just waiting for the next opportunity to come along. He wasn't the person that was going about it with the least possible minimal effort. But he was giving 100% of the effort that God had put inside of him to do. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being patient because I'm not here to tell you today you should just jump from one job, this, or do this, this in ministry very quickly. You should wait upon the Lord. You should be patient. But while you're waiting, work. While you're waiting, help. While you're waiting, serve the Lord with your whole heart and what he's called you to do now. Amen? Okay. This service is too quiet. The first service outdid you. I said when you're working, you're working for Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. That's what I'm saying. Come on, church. Come on. That's the word of the Lord. You know, it's, it's crazy. We're called, you know, if you are a floor sweeper, then be the best floor sweeper that you possibly can be with the energy that God has called you to sweep those floors with. Amen. If he has called you to flip burgers, do it with a smile on your face because God has you there in this season of your life for a purpose, for his glory. Whatever you are called to do, you're a CEO, you're a business owner, whatever it may be, do it to the best of your ability. And let me tell you something, quit worrying about somebody else's opportunity. We got so many people we got so many people, even in Christ, that are looking out. Oh, man, look at the opportunity they've been afforded in front of me. Oh, man, look at, oh, come on, look at that. I can't even believe the opportunity. Stop 
doing that. Stop worrying about somebody else's opportunity and start carving out your own opportunity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, let's get consumed with that. David was actually living in a time where there was an evil king, and that evil king was envious of any threatening leader that came along. Wow. Number four, to lead is to serve. A few years after Samuel anointed David, he started serving as an armor bearer to Saul. He's like, hey, bring that boy to me and give him some jobs to do around the palace. So what I want you to know is when Samuel, we look at this many times as we think at it, wow, when Samuel was called by God to go find the leader that God absolutely wanted, whose hand was upon his life, you know, so many times when we come, we think, wow, when, when uh, Samuel came and he popped the cork on the oil, woo, yeah, here, here we have in the story, many times we think, wow, when he popped the cork and he anointed David in that moment, Oh, man, the pomp and circumstances. The, the, the white horses came out. The chariots came out. Oh, and you have David sitting on the chariot waving to his brothers. Love you guys. Love you guys. I'm called to go do this now. See, we get this mindset in our mind because we look at the world that we live in and we think, well, that's how the kingdom should be. That's how, that's how God acts. But, but if you go in and you study this scripture and you, you look at this, you see, hey, man, you know what really happened? When Samuel left, David's dad said, son, get back out there to tend sheep because he wasn't given the kingship at that second. He was suddenly made king. Now, he wasn't, it wasn't like all overnight. He was serving. He served in the capacity he served in and he grew. He served as a shepherd. And most people don't know this, that, that you look into it, that David was an unofficial protector of the borders of his nation. He gathered some of his toughest friends. He wasn't asked to do it. He, he, he wasn't paid to do it. But he said, I want you, let's go together and let's protect the borders and keep the bad guys out. That's what he was called to do. So you have the armor bearer serving on the border of his nation to be able to protect his very own people. And he wasn't even paid to do it. It's amazing, you look like kings had armor bearers to stand in war with them. So everywhere the king was, the armor bearer is right next to them and saying, what do you need? What do you need next, king? What is it that I can serve you? What piece of armor do you need now? What is it that I can help you with? So he was the armor bearer, also protecting the borders of the nation. Saul loves him, and then you see Saul hates him. He hates him so much that he wants to kill him, and all David do was just serve right? And David was a sinner just like you and me. He wasn't a perfect person. He wasn't even a perfect king. But some people want to skip the armor bearer part and they want to skip the helper part. Listen, if you're too big to serve, you're too little to lead. If you are too big in this room to serve the kingdom of God in these days, then you are too, 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 too little to lead because those things go hand in hand. Serve with excellence in your lane. 
We have an amazing group of servant leaders here at Abundant Life Church that come week in, week out, during the week that are doing things here that, that, that would probably boggle most of your minds that people come and do and serve. It's just, it's just amazing. But they are called our A-team, and our A-team leaders actually knock it out of the park week in, week out here at Abundant. Come on, let's give it up for our A-team leaders. Yes. That do an amazing job most of which you can't even see and don't even know, but things that are going on right now on this campus, taking care of your kids and your student and, and things that are going on that are, that are just being a blessing because they love to do it. They love the Lord. They love ministry. See, what I, what I think we should ask people that we look up to that are seasoned people that are ahead of us, I think that, that we should come, and I want to put this into your spirit, that you should come and ask them, what battle did they have to fight to get where they are now? Because we live in a world of the highlight reels. This afternoon, we're going to go in and we're going to, you're going to watch football games. Or you watch it from yesterday and you go to ESPN. And all you see is the highlight reels. And we live in a world full of highlight reels. And we think, wow, wow, you started that day and the next day you got that position? No, no, no. Because all you saw was their highlight reel. All you saw was what you didn't see the years in between of broken bones. You didn't see the years in between of the leader who paid the price, who got down on their knees and prayed before the Lord, who made the right decisions even when it wasn't popular to do so. You didn't see the tears that came down. You don't understand the family. You don't understand all that took place because we live in a world full of highlight reels when we need to ask the leader, what got you to this point? Because it took great faith. It took great stamina on the Lord for you to be here today. And thank you for doing it. Thank you. Behind everyone you admire, there's a journey that most people don't want to take. Between where they are and where they were, most people don't want to take the journey. And it's all about serving. Don't stop Serving the purposes of the Lord. See, the way you serve changes, but you never stop. And we need to be permission-giving people because even in the church, hey, there's a season for everything. You may have come and served that faithfully for years. Maybe it's been decades, but you're feeling a change. We are permission-giving leaders in the church to say, hey, you know, recognize maybe it's, maybe it's your time to be done here. But listen, we have another place for you to serve. Or maybe you just need to take a season out and rest. Permission giving, empowering leadership. See, if you keep looking in Scripture and you look through First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, you go all the way through it. In our monetary system today, David gave $900 billion to the building of the tabernacle. He never stopped serving the purposes of the Lord. Wow. And one more. Can you take one more? Leaders are owners. Leaders are owners. If you do the minimum required, you're not taking ownership. If you let people run down your boss and you let people run down your company that you work for in front of you, you are not taking ownership. This happens all the time. 
well, I'm part of this company. Yeah, well, they do give me a paycheck, but I'm just going to kind of distance myself from them. And you know what? I'm going to just pass things under the table. Give you all this stuff that I think I do know about them. We live in a world today where we'll sell people out in a New York minute. People working for companies that will talk badly about their boss, their bosses, think nothing of it. But as believers in Christ, we are called to a higher dynamic. We are called to a higher standard. You, you may not think that, but I'm going to tell you, the word of the Lord says it. There's a higher standard. There's a higher dynamic. Um, when it comes to the church, it's God's church. I'm going to say that about as humbly as I can. I, as a pastor here, I, I fight for the church. When it comes to the church, it's God's church that Jesus shed his blood for. I cringe when people talk about other churches and other pastors. See, I don't have to know the other side of the coin. I just say, that's, that's Jesus' church. I, I am not called to run it aground. I'm not called to run that leader down. I'm not, I'm not even called to, because guess what? The person that's talking about somebody else doesn't even know there's another side of the coin but they think they have all the knowledge on it. They have made themselves out to be the almighty. Church, we have never been called to run down another church or another body or another pastor or another leader. I don't care who they are. I don't care what, what it is you think they did or did not do. We are not called ever because Jesus died for the church. And if you are, you're going to stand before the Lord one day and you're going to give account. See, it's taking ownership. It's taking ownership for where you are right now. Where are you? Where has God placed you? You're taking ownership. So I'm saying, you know what? I am here for the health and the strength of God's church. You're taking ownership when you pray for the church. You're taking ownership when you give. You're taking ownership when you serve. You're taking ownership when you encourage the body of Christ. When you tithe, you're taking ownership when you serve. You're taking ownership when you're praying for the favor of God upon the church, for the blessing of God. Don't pray what's wrong with the church. Pray what's right and speak those things out. When you encourage other people, you're taking ownership for the body of Christ. Amen? That's what it's about. Take ownership. Take ownership. This is the Lord's church. He gave his life for it. Shouldn't you? That's pretty radical, John. No, that's what I'm called to do, and so are you in Christ. Let's stop running our businesses down. Let's stop running our, our bosses down. Let's stop running our coworkers down. Let's pray. Let's lift them up. Let's encourage them. Yeah, maybe you need to confront something. That's great. Do it biblically. See, and here's what I want to say. Generosity starts on our face. The generosity starts on our face. 
that you realize the dynamic that God has been good to you and God has been good to me, but generosity starts on our face. And I know we have, we go through difficult times, seasons, or days, or whatever it may be. I'm not talking about being fake, but generosity does start on our face and you realize, oh, the goodness of God, that God has been so good to me that on, on my face, I reflect that. So we transfer the goodness of God to our face. We can't just let it stay inside. We say, man, God has been good to me, and so I'm going to talk about it that way, and I'm going to talk about him this way, and I'm going to talk about my workplace in a positive way, and I'm going to talk about the church in a positive way, and I'm going to lift up people that are around me, and I'm going to, so you realize to, to think three means to, you got to give big. you got to give big. Generosity starts on the face. The leaders are owners that, this is my family. You're going to let somebody talk about your biological family for very long and talk them down. You're going to stand up and say, hey, no, no, no. I'm not going to allow that. That discourse, is, that, that, that stops. This is right now. I'm not going to let you talk about the, the, the business that I'm a part of. I'm not going to let you talk about the church that way. I'm not going to let you. No, because why? you've got some unhealth going on, and you've got to deal with it, and there's some things inside of you. Don't talk about my family. Don't talk about my boss like that. Don't, don't talk about the church like that. Because it's what Jesus gave his life for. To think three is really to live out vision that outlives you. That if the vision you're living for dies when you die, you don't have a vision that outlives you. That's why we're talking about thinking three. We're talking about at least, you know, three generations ahead because the Bible continues to talk about that. Three, 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 over and over and over and over and over and over again. Are you thinking three? Thinking three. You and I are called to leave an inheritance for our children's children. Like I said last week, sir, ma'am, you may be loaded monetarily, but your legacy will be found in your spirit. Your legacy is found in your spiritual walk before the Lord. Because guess what? The things you and I touch and hold and cling on to so tightly, the Bible says will one day burn up and it will be gone. Rust and moth will decay it. But are you living for the things that outlive you?